may be seated. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We began last week talking about paths, prophets, produce, and posers, and we're going to complete that today. Um, two more messages from the Sermon on the Mount series, and I'm excited about what both of those have for us. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be a little transparent. I know you are shocked by that. I did not want to preach this message today. If I'm just being real, you know, I don't want to be disobedient, so I'm, that's why I'm preaching it, because he wouldn't let me out of it. So if you've got a problem with the message I preach today, take it up with God. He wouldn't listen to me. Maybe he won't listen to you either. I don't know. I didn't want to preach this message because this is a troubling passage, and it feels like uh, fathers, and, and listen, can I just be honest? Can I, I, don't, I don't mean any offense by this. I, I, it's not my nature. Um, but just being real, we have more dads here than we usually have. Sadly, Father's Day should be a day that we celebrate every day because dads are so important. We have a heavenly father who models fatherhood for us, and then he gives us earthly fathers the, the blessing and opportunity to get a little, a little taste of what he feels like as our heavenly father as we father our kids. I didn't want to preach this because I didn't want any dads that are here because it's Father's Day and they've been guilted to come to church to feel like they're being ambushed. That would never be my intention. That would never be something that I would try to do. I'm not one of these. Look, I, I'm pretty real. Sometimes it's like sausage being made. You don't want to watch it be made. You just want to eat it when it's done. So sometimes you got to take the bad with the good. But I'm just being honest. I don't want you to feel that way. But I tried every way possible. And God said, no, you're preaching this sermon. You're preaching this message from this text today. So here we go. Again, I'm going to tell you that Jesus explains a great deal over these three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, gives us an inordinate amount of instruction on how we're supposed to live, the things we're supposed to do, how to live for God while living with people. And if I'm being fair, I can understand the sentiment that some of you might share with me when you're looking at the news, watching social media, hearing some of these crazy things that are happening. We had an elderly man open fire on other elderly people at a church in Vestavia this week. Isn't that unreal? Isn't that crazy? You would think that an older person would be a little bit more wise and, and discerning and not so emotional and doing crazy stuff. But that's, that's our world. That's the world we live in. So when I see that stuff go on, I want to live for God. But I'm going to be honest with you, I'd rather live with Him. I'd rather live for Him with Him and not for Him with others because others are complicated. Others means you bring things into the, into the, the sphere around you that are chaotic and crazy. We have all kind of trouble and all kind of brokenness and all kind of a calamity going on in this world. If it, would, it would be my choice to say, God, just go ahead and take me and my family. I know we're saved. Take us home. That's not the mission. It's not the purpose of salvation is not getting you to heaven. The purpose of your salvation is getting anybody else that you can come in contact with to heaven. So I'm going to be here in the muck and the mire telling people about Jesus, pointing people to the true gospel of Jesus Christ until he decides it's my time is done. So it is, these texts teach us how to live for God while living with others. And these last two sections are really more focused on, on discernment and our destination rather than anything else. So we asked last week, we asked two questions. Number one, which road are you on? Did you go through the narrow gate on the difficult road or you, did you go through the broad gate and are on the wide road? And then we said, who are you following? You don't have an option on which gate you take. 
or, or to not take a gate, you have to take one of the two gates. And you don't have an option whether or not you follow somebody. You will follow someone. You'll either follow Christ or you'll follow your flesh. So today I'm going to cover two more questions that I think it's important for us to look at. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the most important aspect of real estate. So if you would stand with me in honor of the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of Almighty God. And we're going to read this passage today, verses 16 through 23 of Matthew chapter 7. He says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Notice that he bookends these statements about good and bad trees with that same statement, you will recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, talking about judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Would you pray with me? Father God, speak to us today through your word. Help us to hear your voice and help us to be obedient to it because you are the sovereign God of creation. You deserve our obedience. We lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the two questions today, the first one is pretty obvious, verses 16 through 20. Which tree are you? Now, when I ask that question, which tree are you, there are only two answers that you can give. One of two. You are either a good tree, which produces good fruit, or you are a bad tree, which produces bad fruit. And you say, well, what if I don't want to produce fruit? You don't have that option. If you look at study after study after study, dads are important in the lives of their kids. Kids who come from a, a home with a father that's involved are twice or two times less likely to end up in jail or arrested. Two times. Kids with dads that are involved in their lives are influenced by those fathers in a positive way. With dads not involved, and you, this, is, this is the part that I'm saying you can't choose to be neither. If you're not involved, that is a terrible influence on the family. That is a terrible influence on children. If you produce bad fruit, in other words, selfish fruit, self-righteous fruit, fruit that, that you want other people to think you're an apple tree and you're really a lemon tree, People in, in, the, in the public might see you as one way, but people at home see you how you really are. You produce bad fruit, and bad fruit corrupts while good fruit encourages. The two words there for good and bad are uh, agathos in the Greek, which is beneficial, and sapros, which is rotten, worthless, or corrupt. Now, here's the problem with identifying trees. You have to wait a long time to figure out what tree you're dealing with. Uh, Grayson recently told me that Byron had cut down one of my favorite analogies. Uh, Byron had a tree in his backyard. We first met them, and he was talking to me. He said, uh, I said, well, that's a pretty cool-looking tree. Is that grapefruit? He said, yeah, yeah, it's grapefruit. He said, but they taste like lemons. But it's a grapefruit tree. Yeah. But no matter how long we leave them up and no matter what we do to them, they taste like lemons. Well, 
hey, cuz, guess what? <laughs> that's a lemon tree. There's some grapefruit-looking lemons, but it's still lemons. Why? Because that's what kind of fruit it produces. The tree produces the kind of fruit that the tree is. If you have an apple tree, it looks like the leaves, the bark, and all that stuff look like an apple tree, but it doesn't produce apples. It is not an apple tree. If that apple tree produces pears, it is not an apple tree. One of the most problematic things is that you don't just get a label on somebody and say, oh, pear tree, apple tree, lemon tree. No, you have to wait, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of times, to figure out what kind of tree you're dealing with. Now, I'm a firm believer that if you'll give somebody a minute, they'll show you what kind of tree they are. Now, once they show you what kind of tree they are, take their word for it. We've told girls this my whole ministry, ever since we've been working with students from West, West Side and Florella all the way to now, leopards don't change their spots. If he is a dirtbag when you met him, until he comes to faith in Christ, he will be a dirtbag until he dies. He's not going to get better. He's not going to change his ways unless Christ changes him. Now, I remembered some of this stuff because at, Troy, at the Troy State University, John would put her hand over her heart when I say that, I studied, I had a class, it was a botany class called Local Flora, where we basically walked around in the summer heat in lower Alabama and looked at plants for a grade. I don't know what was wrong with me. I, had, I guess I was just digging for a credit. Uh, I don't remember who that professor was. I'm sure he's probably highly offended that I'm talking about his class this way, but I'm just being honest. It's a privet hedge. It's a bush. It's a tree. It's a shrub. I don't care. But we're trying to learn all these names and stuff. And so I had a flashback to that when I was preparing to do this sermon because I wanted. To, I just thought about what is this fruit? What does that mean? Practicality purpose for practicality purposes. What is a fruit, and why we why do we even think about it in those terms? And so I read an article by Dr. Lawrence M. Kelly who at the time of the writing of this was the director of graduate studies at the New York Botanical Garden. Y'all don't think I love you? Let me say that again. I read an article preparing for this sermon on fruit from a PhD from some botanical something or another in New York. Suffering for Jesus, let me tell you. But here's what he says, and I'm going to do you a favor and cut out one little sentence out of that eternal article that I read. The fruit functions to spread the seeds or to attract dispersers. Let me read that again. The fruit functions to spread the seeds or to attract dispersers. And I was like, what is a disperser? That's an aminal. So these aminals, they come along and they see this fruit and it looks like it'll be good and they eat it. And then they go away from the tree and they deposit the remnants, y'all tracking with me, of the fruit. And the seeds are in that, and then the seeds get in the ground, and up comes a tree. So this tree procreates, propagates itself through the fruit. The fruit looks attractive. The animal eats it. It takes it off. Or the fruit falls, and it rolls downhill, and it eventually gets to a place that decays. The, the seeds go into the ground, and a tree comes up. Now, what kind of tree do we get from the fruit of tree A? We get those same trees. You don't have apple trees that are producing pear trees or, or uh, palm tree, uh, pineapple trees that are producing pecans. Whatever kind of tree you are, that's what kind of fruit you produce. From the plant's perspective, the only purpose of having good fruit is to reproduce itself. Did y'all catch that? From the plant's perspective, the only purpose of having good fruit is to reproduce itself. And I believe the same should be said about the life of a follower of the Lord Jesus. 
Listen to me. You're not here on this earth to enjoy yourself and wait till Jesus comes and gets you. You are here to make fruit. You're here to leave an impact. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And they should begin in your home. You should be the you are the primary disciple discipler of your children. It's not my job, it's not Austin's job, Grayson's, Kendra's, it's not anybody here's job to disciple your kids above your job. You are the primary discipler of your children, dads. You're to help your help the mom. Moms help the dads, and you disciple your children. You produce fruit that looks like the good tree that you are. We produce good fruit to help others know Christ, so they can produce good fruit that will help others to know Christ, and then they will produce good fruit. Do you see where we're going? We, we need to be constantly doing this. And by the way, happy Father's Day. I told you, I didn't want to do this. I know some of y'all are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Like, thanks a lot, preacher. My, my family drags me here, and then you're bludgeoning me over the head. You don't do this to mothers. You're right, because mothers would kill me. <laughs> I'm not, look, I may look dumb. Well, I probably am dumb, but I'm not that dumb. I'm not dumb enough to attack mothers on Mother's Day. But I'm going to be honest with you, the Lord told me to, I'd do it. I'm not trying to attack. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to explain to you how important your ministry is. Every TV show that you watch minimizes the role of a father. Every movie that you watch minimizes the role of a father. You know why? Because the enemy's job is to lie, cheat, steal, and destroy any way possible. You know what God says about dads? They are critical. You know why our society is in such a steaming, stinking mess? Because dads have been diminished and minimized. And dads have, have obfuscated their roles. They've capitulated to the society to say, I'm not going to be the one to get on my kid's bad side. I'm not going to tell my kid no. I'm going to give my kid whatever they want. Well, let me tell you what that's going to get you. Exactly what our society is showing us that is happening right now. The Bible is clear about what this role is supposed to look like. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2. Anybody can remember that. 2 Tim 2.2. Commit it to memory. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me, Tyler, in the presence of many witnesses in our church, Tyler is to commit that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's discipleship. It's generational. It should be exponential. The growth that we saw this morning is incredible, church. We had five young men baptized by three dads. Those three dads get it. We've got several others, but that's just a perfect display on Father's Day of three dads who are discipling their boys, raising their kids to know Christ, and baptizing them into the church, and letting them know that this is the life of a believer, to follow Christ and to make other disciples. Now, sadly, that's good fruit. Sadly, bad fruit works the same way in the opposite direction. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. If you are producing bad fruit, that tree that comes from that will still grow. And guess what that tree is likely to produce? Bad fruit. Except for the intervention of Christ, 
except for God reaching down and changing the, the, the system. I'm living proof of that. I've seen that happen in my life. My dad was lost. My dad was, was, was raised by good godly parents, but he turned from Christ. He turned from the church, and he walked away. I baptized my dad two months before we buried him. My dad said he knew who Christ was and asked me, his son, what do I do next? I am a miracle that God would do that. I was heading down the same road my dad was, but God had other plans. Bad trees produce bad fruit, and bad fruit produces more bad trees. James says it this way in James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Look at that. Don't blame the enemy. It's your own evil desire you give in to. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And you say, well, Brother Kevin, I, I'm still living my life, man. I'm doing me. I, I'm doing all that I want to do. And, and I, I, people think I'm a good person. And I, I get along okay. I keep, I keep my mom and dad at arm's length or whatever. But I'm still doing what I want to do. Sin hasn't given birth to death in my life. Wait a minute. The death he's really talking about, now yes, it could be an earthly death, but he's talking about the eternal death. You live that way and you are going to go to hell. You live walking away from Christ, thumbing your nose at the lordship of Christ, and you will end up in hell for eternity. And that is the second death, and that's the death he's speaking of. Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Whatever person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And you say, well, that's okay. I'm just going to sow privately. I'm not going to throw any seeds. By the way, you don't have that option. You are sowing seeds. It's either good seeds or bad seeds. And the good or bad determines what kind of things will grow. And whatever kind of tree you are, that's the kind of seeds you produce. And those are the kind of seeds that you sow. And whatever you sow, you will reap. And you say, well, yeah, but... You don't understand, preacher. In the 21st century, I can do all this stuff under the cover of darkness. I'm in my home. I'm on my laptop. Nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm on my phone. I'm clicking on these sites. I'm looking at these images. Uh, I have these things going on that you don't know about. Uh, by the way, I, I used to walk that life. When I came to faith in Christ, the biggest worry I had was not giving up my sin. It was giving it up in front of everybody who thought I had already given it up. I, I, was, I was a caricature. I was literally the guy holding, to the, holding on to the back of the pew in front of me with white knuckles. I could feel my shirt moving. My heart was pounding so hard because I knew that I had to walk down there in front of everybody that thought I was saved and let them know that I was not. You know why I did it? Because I knew that's the only way I was going to come to Christ is that if I publicly went down and said, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me. You can't do it in private because God sees everything. Let me give you a little Old Testament knowledge here. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. You know why we have a lot of churches that have fallen? A lot of ministers have fallen. You know why a lot of ministers have fallen? Because they were bad trees and eventually you got to see the bad fruit that they were producing. They hid it for a while. Maybe they were a good entrepreneur. Maybe they were a good business mind, a good leader. And they were able to shuffle the pieces and move things and grow a, grow a building, grow a, a congregation. But they were not being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so their fruit eventually found them out. Their sins found them out. If you're here today living in sin and nobody knows about it, give it a minute. It will be revealed. Everybody will know it. If not on this side of eternity, definitely on the other side. And again, it's key to know that you cannot stay neutral as to what kind of tree you are. 
And we always use Switzerland. I was looking the other day, uh, Dave, that uh, Switzerland is about to join, trying to join NATO. And I'm like, man, there's going two, two good analogies shot. Byron's tree in Switzerland. You can't be Switzerland. You know, they've always been neutral and they don't want to take sides. Well, you can't take sides when it comes to what kind of tree you are. Listen to what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.10. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree, that, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree. What kind of tree? Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In John 15, verses 1 and 2, another one of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, he removes. Now, my understanding of that is that if you don't produce fruit for Jesus and you are a follower of Christ, God will take you out of this world. I don't believe it means he's going to take you out of the book of life, uh, the, the Lamb's book of life, but he will take you out of the book of the living. He will bench you. He will take you out of, the, out of the starting lineup and put you on the bench if you don't produce fruit. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, It is not merely the wicked, the bearer of poison berries that will be cut down, but the neutral. The man who bears no fruit of positive virtue must also be cast into the fire. So number one, which tree are you? Number two, where will you end up? Where will you end up? Verses 21 through 23. Again, probably the most problematic, frightening verses in Scripture to me. Jesus goes into further detail about the difference between wolves and sheep. A wolf is somebody who doesn't know Christ, and a sheep is somebody who is a follower of Jesus. He says on that day, speaking of Judgment Day, people will say, Lord, Lord. In the Jewish culture, at this time especially, to say somebody's name twice was a sign of affection or admiration. So you would say, James, James, and it would be a sign that I, I'm affectionate towards you and I admire you. And that's what he was saying they would do to him. They would say, Lord, Lord. That, the word Lord there in the Greek is kurios, and it means master. It means supreme in authority. So they would say, Lord, Lord. They would say, Master, Master. They would say, supreme in authority, supreme in authority, but they didn't know him. See, uh, uh, this, this saying it twice, doesn't. it's not going to change anything if you just show admiration or affection. Having affection or appreciation for Jesus is not the same as surrendering your life to Him. Jesus has enough admirers. Yeah, I, I like Jesus. I, he was a kind of a kind of a hippie. You know, he's kind of one of those peace and love guys. He probably had like flowers he gave away at the airport. Uh, he was a real nice guy. He said all these really nice things, and then they forget the fact that he says, "I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword." And he said things like this: "If you don't know me, I'm going to cast you out." See, Jesus is not a good teacher. He's not a good rabbi. He's not another option. He is, as he said in his own words in John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. You want to be a real man? Submit to Christ. It doesn't take a real man to live in, in arrogance and live in selfishness and do only what you want to do and live like you want to live. It takes a real man to humble himself before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and give him the honor and glory that he is due. The verbal confession of Jesus is important. It's critical. But that alone will not save you. See, there's been too much lip service to Jesus. I walked an aisle when I was five. Good. Show me your fruit. Oh, you don't understand, Brother Kevin. I'm a member of so-and-so church. Okay, good. Show me your fruit. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm a deacon. I'm a minister. I'm a this. I'm a that. Ah, that's great. Show me your fruit. You show me your fruit, and I'll tell you where you're headed. 
Show me your fruit. Let me examine the fruit of your life, and I will tell you where I think you're heading. Romans 10, 9, Paul tells us this. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. By the way, just time out. When we say that, when we say confess with your mouth, that doesn't mean walk and I'll shake a hand. That means publicly tell people, verbally and through the, the first step of obedience of baptism, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord. He is my Lord. That's confession. Jesus is Lord. But then he goes on. He says, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You can't just confess it. You can't just join the church. You have to believe it in your heart. Uh, Brother Gene, you've got to know when you know her. That you have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That he is the, the virgin-born, sinless, sacrificial Lamb of God. Came to take away the sin of the world. To seek and to save that which was lost. Buried in a borrowed tomb. Rose on the third day. Is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You've got to believe it. You've got to internalize it. Then you've got to externalize it. You've got to live it out. You've got to be a disciple maker. A disciple maker is not a disciple maker until his disciples are making disciples. Your effort, my effort with Grayson is not through when I just share the gospel with him and he comes to faith in Christ. It's a continual journey of discipleship until I see him reach out to Austin and he's discipling Austin and Austin's discipling Carter. We Sabrison. He, he with this, this constant movement. That's what 2 Timothy 2 2 tells us. What you have heard from me in the presence of others, teach a, a gift to faithful men who will teach others also. That's the, the generational version of what discipleship really needs to look like. Belief is not enough. Confession is not enough. Listen to what James says about belief. James 2.19. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Well, I believe in Jesus. Congratulations. You have demonic faith. How do you think that's going to work out for you? Now, there are three things these phonies, these fakes, these charlatans say. When they say, Lord, Lord, there's three things on their resume they point to. The first one is, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we prophesy in your name? That, that word is prophetuo in the Greek, and it means to speak under inspiration, to exercise the prophetic office. It's what I'm doing here. When I'm preaching from the Word of God, I am prophesying. I am, I am standing in this position of the prophetic office. And you may think that's a pretty big deal. I did too, and then I messed up and I read 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this in verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I'm not there yet, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, get pumped up, Joey. That sounds like good stuff, doesn't it? If I can do all that, here's what he says, If I can do all that but do not have love, I am nothing. What love is he talking about? The love of Christ. The only love that really matters, the, the love that shows us how to live for him. Spurgeon said this, if preaching could save a man, Judas would not have been damned. If prophesying could save a man, Balaam would not have been a castaway. So they're prophesying, big deal. Number two, driving out demons. Didn't we drive out demons in your name? That's a pretty big deal. That's pretty, you know, that's substantial. I found this curious. In Mark's gospel, in Mark 3, uh, verses 13 to 15, Jesus goes up on the mountain, summons the guys up there uh, that he wanted. He called the 12. He called them apostles. He said, you're going to go out, you're going to preach. In verse 15, and have authority to drive out demons. All right, Mark 3. Six chapters later, we read a story where this man had a child who was possessed and the disciples could not cast out the demon six chapters 
Six chapters from Jesus giving them authority and they could not get the job done. And they bring him back to Jesus and they say, we couldn't drive it out. Why not? Jesus said, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. You see, here's what he was saying. You guys are relying on the gift and not the giver. You're relying on the gift of casting out demons. I gave you authority to do it, but you're relying on the gift and not the giver. Can I just be honest with you? If I, listen, I, if I, I can talk a lot. I'm a good talker. But if all I ever do is talk and all I talk about is me and all I talk about is the stuff that I want you to do and the things I want us to see, if I never talk about this glorious word of Almighty God, then I'm relying on the gift of prophecy, the gift God has given me to communicate, but I have stopped relying on the giver of the gift. And you know what we're in store for when I start relying on the gift and not the giver? Trouble. You know what you're going to have in your life if you start relying on gifts rather than the giver? Trouble. And he says, didn't we do many miracles in your name? That word miracles is the word dunamis in the Greek where we get the word dynamite. It means mighty, wonderful works. You see, these are people with an angelic appearance but a demonic heart. These are godly-looking works that are accomplished by ungodly people. He's warning us not to rely on the gift. He says, hey, don't look at the magician's hand over here when he's doing something else with his hand over here. He's saying, rely on me, trust me, follow me, give your life to me. And then verse 23, again, just frightening. He says, if you did all this stuff and I don't know you, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, lawbreakers. That's Psalm 6, 8, which says, depart from me, all evildoers. Yeah, but, but I said, Lord, Lord. I said the right thing. I said kurios, kurios, uh, supreme in authority, master, but I never knew you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says it this way, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And here's the key. The world with its lust is passing away. Y'all, it's headed there quickly right now. This world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. I'm going to branch off here a little bit out of Matthew 7. In, in Matthew 25, Jesus uses three stories, a couple of parables, three stories to talk about what it looks like to get to heaven. I think he's sort of extrapolating from this statement of, if you cry out to me, Lord, Lord, but I never knew you, you get cast out. In the parable of the ten, a parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, 12 the, the foolish virgins who didn't bring enough lamp uh, oil for their lamps, he tells them, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And then in verse 30 of that chapter, in the parable of the talents, he says, throw this good-for-nothing servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because he didn't take what God had given him and invest it back into the kingdom. And the discussion between the difference between sheep and goats, in verse 41, he says that God is going to separate the sheep to his right, the goats to his left. In other words, those who are truly saved and those who are not. And to the goats on his left, he says this, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, the fact that he says, I never knew you, proves once again that you cannot lose your salvation because you cannot lose what you never had. He didn't say, I used to know you, but I don't now. He said, I never knew you. But they did stuff. 
They were deacons and, and elders and preachers and, and they were Sunday school teachers and they were good godly church folks. They were born in the south and, and they, they loved their granny and, and they loved cornbread and fried chicken. All these things that we sometimes, we, we, we love America and we voted Republican. Here's what he's saying. Yeah, all that stuff's fine. Who cares about that stuff if you never gave your life to me? Lord, Lord, I don't know you. But didn't you hear me? I said, Lord, Lord. Listen, you better say Lord, Lord, because he is the Lord of creation. But you cannot call on him as your Savior unless he knows you. It's a lot more important who knows you than who you know. I know Jesus, but he better, you better make sure he knows you. That's why it's so important we listen to the words of James. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And James 2.26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead. Why is it important that we do works? Why is it important that we, that we not only say the right things, but we live out those things? Because that proves what kind of tree you are. And the kind of tree you are determines where you will end up. Somebody on Twitter uh, yesterday uh, put out a thing that says, Pastors, uh, reply to this tweet with one sentence that tells what you're preaching about tomorrow. And I like stuff like that because it makes me think a little bit. And I'm like, okay, let's see. How would I say it? Here's what I, here's what I put. Eventually, time will reveal whether trees are good or bad by the fruit they bear. But Jesus knows the whole time. Eventually, time will reveal whether trees are good or bad by the fruit they bear. But Jesus knows the whole time. If we're just playing the odds, I would say that it's likely that some of you sitting here today have walked an aisle, have shaken the preacher's hand, have got a baptismal certificate or, or some kind of thing where you can point to. I'm a church member or, you know, I used to go to church or whatever. Some of you will cry, Lord, Lord. And he's going to look at you and say, but I never knew you. And instead of saying, but didn't we prophesy and cast out demons and do many miracles, you're going to say, but didn't I go to VBS and didn't I shake the preacher's hand and didn't I get baptized a few times after camp? And, and he's going to say, but I don't know you. See, it's not about the stuff you do. It's about the kind of tree you are. And the kind of tree you are will be revealed in the kind of fruit you produce. Again, I'm not telling you something that I heard about. I'm not telling you something that I assume or presume or even think. I'm telling you something that I have experienced. I was raised in church, had every opportunity to come to know Christ, and I spit in his face and I walked away. I lived for me for the better part of 26 years. And if I had died before that day at Westside Baptist Church in Florella where I knelt down and gave my life to Christ, I would have been in a, going to eternity going, Lord, Lord. I sang in youth choir. I sang specials in church. I helped out on work days. Played golf with a couple of preachers that my mom was trying to get me to, to get saved. Didn't I do all this stuff? And he would look at me and say, Kevin, I don't know you. Man, I sure hope nobody's sitting here today that would be in that boat. I hope nobody here today is living a false faith, trying to be a fake tree. 
you will know them by their fruit. Eventually, they will tell you who they are. When they tell you who they are, believe them. But we're all going to stand one day, and God's going to look at us, and he's going to separate sheep from goats, good trees from bad trees. And only knowing him as Savior is going to save you. Would you stand with me? I'm not preaching this message to you as somebody who's achieved or attained. I'm just a beggar who found bread, and I'm trying to tell the other beggars where the bread is. If you're a dad here today, you don't know Christ, the best Father's Day present you could get would also be the best Father's Day present you could give your family if you would surrender to the Lordship of King Jesus. And let me just share this little nugget with you. If you don't know what kind of tree you are, guess what? You're not the good tree. You can't look back and say, right here is when I gave my life to Christ. Right here is when I repented of my sins and I put my... Then you're the bad tree. But you don't have to leave here a bad tree. You can leave here a good tree. You can repent of your sins and come to faith in Christ. It begins with confession where you stand up and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to submit my life to him. As always, our invitation time is for, for whatever God has prompted you to do. I want you to be instantly obedient. If you need to rededicate your life, you need to come to faith in Christ, join the church, move your letter, all that stuff. But I want you to hear me specifically today. What kind of tree are you? And where will you end up? If you're not sure about those answers, would you just trust Christ today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your awesome word. God, I pray that you would just continue to use it in my life to draw me closer to you, make me more to the image of your son. Less, I, I want to look less like me and I want to look more like Jesus. I must decrease, he must increase. Lord, your, your word says that it never returns void. I know there are probably some here that, that have strayed away, that have walked away from their faith. Or maybe they've never really had a faith. God, today would you save the lost. God, would you do a work and would you get the glory and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.